When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, it really busts my hump, you know? Aw, oh, Cameron, he didn't ditch us or anything. He's here. Hey, for all we know, he went back to school. He would Probably not to go back grandma. to school. Yeah, he'd do it. He'd just no, do it just to make not. me sweat. Cameron, come on. Makes me mad. Ladies and gentlemen, you're such a wonderful crowd. We'd like to play a little tune for you. It's one of my personal favorites. And I'd like to dedicate it to a young man who doesn't think he's seen anything good today. Cameron Fry, this one's for you. Hey, what's happening? I'm Miles Kennedy, and you are listening to Jay Scott on The Hook Rocks. Everybody, what's going on? Welcome back to the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Scott. Hope you're doing well, staying safe, staying healthy. Hope you're enjoying the latest episodes that we have. We've got a great one for you today. Keep in mind that we are on Pantheon Podcast, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, with some great other podcasts as well, like Martin Popoff, Carmen Apiece with Vinny Apice, Cobras and Fire, my guys in Shout Loudcast, and Mistress Carrie out there in Boston, too, as well. So there's a whole bunch of great podcasts for you to dive into on that platform. Like us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. I do appreciate it. Write a review if you get a chance, to, and you feel like you want to let me know what you think. Without further ado, we have a guest that I've been looking forward to having on the show here. I've been I've had the pleasure of checking out her new album before its release. It is absolutely phenomenal. I'd like to welcome in Diamante to the Hook Rocks. What's going on? How are you? Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing awesome. I'm just so excited for this album to come out. Yeah, I mean it it's I mean the whole year has been filled with great releases great albums 
artists really are swinging for the fences and your album is no different. What really struck me at first, like upon the first listen was how sonically it was just unbelievable. It was incredible. Thank you. Well, I do have to give credit obviously to Howard Benson and Neil Sanderson because they did produce the album and they were very much um, my collaborative people on this album. So they had a huge part in the sonic aspect of the album. And um, Howard, he produced my first album. So he came on to do the second one. And then Neil brought his sort of early 2000s hard rock three days grace sound. So I think the album is really versatile in in the way that it sounds. And it takes a lot from different genres, which I love. Yeah, I did notice that. And we got lots to dig into with the album. But we always ask the same first question every time we have a first-time guest on the show, and that is the essence of the podcast. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Well, it's funny because I grew up mostly on that early 2000s pop rock, and that first album for me that really solidified the deal was Let Go by Avril Lavigne. I I bought that album, well, my parents bought that album at Borders when I was, oh man, I think I was maybe nine years old. And I would sing that album in my room every day, nonstop. But the first time I really heard like rock and roll, hard rock music was when I did a School of Rock program. I was 13 years old, and this was the first time I was exposed to bands like Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and the Rolling Stones and Blondie and just and hearing all these songs by them and getting to then later perform them on stage. That's what got me hooked into writing and singing and performing rock and roll music. What was that experience like for you at the School of Rock? I mean, you mentioned Avril Lavigne and, you know, that whole era of that music with her and Pink and others as well was a a very big moment, you know, in rock in terms of bringing more pop sense into the music. Because in the 90s, you know, it was it started out towards the end of the glam era into the grunge era, too, Mm -hmm. as well. And then it kind of segued into more of a poppy feel. And then you go to School of Rock where you're listening to Zeppelins and the Stones and you mentioned Blondie and that is quite different than what you're first exposed to. How did that shape you in terms of the artist you are today? It was so enlightening because you can imagine 13 year old me hearing a band like Led Zeppelin for the first time. I thought I knew what rock music was when I was listening to that pop rock stuff and then getting to hear what classic rock was is completely changed my perspective and opened up my mind. And so even though I still credit a lot of my vocal, I guess, style to that early 2000s pop rock sound, my music definitely started shifting towards a heavier rock sound because, like I said, I didn't even know that it existed up until that point. When you talk about the evolution of you as an artist, you know, you you first hear the Avril Lavigne, you go into School of Rock, was your first instrument your voice in terms of singing? Yeah, definitely. I started singing probably when I was six. I would always sing along to the Disney movies and The Little Mermaid, especially every day in the shower. I was always singing The Little Mermaid. And then I eventually started doing musical theater shows. But um, when I was 
13 and I did that School of Rock, they did put me on guitar for one of the songs uh, at the end of the, the camp at this showcase, and I sucked so bad. Um, I really did want to learn how to play guitar, but I just never had the discipline because I didn't like how it hurt my fingers, and I, I just didn't do the you know, the practicing for hours and hours on end. But now that I'm 24, I really wish I had because I'd be kicking butt on guitar right now. You know, I just had a conversation about Eddie Van Halen on the podcast, and he used to bring a guitar to school when he was in high wow. school, and he would sit in English class just doing scales while, you know, reading a, a book or whatever, subject and predicate and all that kind of stuff. And here he is just sitting at his desk. His friends would say he had his guitar around him constantly. So it's just amazing how an instrument, whether it's guitar, whether it's singing, can captivate you and just push you and motivate you to keep practicing and keep doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was doing that without even realizing because I didn't start taking professional singing lessons until I was maybe 16, 17. But I was always singing in my room for hours and hours on end. So there was definitely some practicing going on there. As far as writing goes, you know, drawing from the new album, you write with a very unique perspective and you, you're able to put pen to paper on whether it's something you've observed or something you've experienced yourself. Was there an influence? Was there an artist that motivate you, motivated you to start writing music? Wow. Um, yeah, I would say at the beginning, I had a little songbook that I had where I would just write all these song ideas and I was maybe nine years old, 10 at the time. And that came from purchasing physical CDs from artists like Avril and Pink and Kelly Clarkson. That was a big one too. And I would look, my favorite thing to do is I would look at the booklet inside the CD and I would read the lyrics and I would see written by so-and-so and so-and-so. And that inspired me to start writing my own lyrics because I thought, how cool is it to write a song and create something from scratch? And also use it as therapy too. I mean, maybe not at the age of nine when you were first <laughs> starting, but as you get older and you process things differently, you know, I've talked to many artists about how they write music and some take from personal experiences, some take from observations, some write in an abstract or a tongue in cheek type of style. And it's very interesting. I always find it interesting when I talk to someone about how they write and what that process is for them. Yeah, when I first started writing, I think it was definitely more the tongue-in-cheek approach. And then as I kept experiencing life, as, as happens when you get older and you go through your teen years and you get heartbroken for the first time, and then you, you get into your early 20s and now you're an adult and you're experiencing all these things, that's when I really started writing from direct personal experience. And that's why the lyrics on American Dream are so personal and detailed and I'm really painting these scenarios that really did happen to me and I think yeah you're absolutely right the reason why I love writing even painful memories even hard moments or things that I'm ashamed of I like writing them because it is healing for me because I'm able to release it into first song form and then ultimately out into the world and it's like I'm no longer holding on to these feelings anymore, and they're not just bottled up inside for only me to hear. This album is very personal, and you do hear that. It does come through uh, when you're listening to the tracks. 
when you are writing and you are writing about a painful memory, a happy memory, whatever it is, there is a moment of vulnerability where you've got to tap into a moment that has passed, a situation that has passed, and it might be uncomfortable, and it might be uncomfortable to go back into that situation, use it as healing, re, you know, have those feelings reoccur within you. How do you get past that? How do you move forward with, with the lyrics of a song? It can definitely be uncomfortable and even painful, but I purposely, especially with this album, pushed myself to go there because I realized that when you do tap into those memories full-heartedly and um, you're not afraid to feel that uncomfortability or that pain, you're able to, in a way, come to terms with what happened and you find that closure that maybe you didn't have before and you're able to to look at it from a different point of view because maybe time has passed or you can look back on a situation more objectively and um, yeah, and it's, it's healing because you're able to look at it from a different point of view. And, uh, and no matter how hard it is, um, the time makes it better and writing about it makes it better. I've always, I've always wondered about that process when someone's writing and being able to tap into it. And then you know, you use it as a voice and then other people connect with it too as well. And someone who may not be able to express themselves can do so with what you're writing about. They, it's a very unique thing in that, you know, the connection with the person who's listening can use that as a way to tell people how they're feeling. Is that important to you, how people connect? Or is it when you write a song and you put it on the album, you let it go it's it's the audience's. It's no longer yours. It's, it, what type of feeling do you have about that? It's a little bit of both. For me, why I love writing songs like this is because there's that intensely gratifying moment where a fan will come up after you, like after a show, and they'll tell you, "Hey, you know, this song really helped me with this feeling or this experience that I had, and because of you, I was able to overcome it." And to me, that's the best feeling because I know that personally, I listen to music for that exact reason. There's so many songs that I've listened to as a music fan where I've said, wow, that's exactly how I felt at some time or even right now. And I just didn't know how to put it into words. And this song did that for me. So, yeah, I, I definitely think when the songs come out, it's, it's for the audience. It's for the fans as well. The album is American Dream. It's the follow-up to Coming in Hot in 2018. When was this album recorded? I know a lot of artists went through the pandemic, and a lot of them held on to albums that maybe they were going to release last year. Was this recorded during the pandemic or before? Uh, I would say that uh, I guess the first maybe two songs were recorded before the pandemic, but the majority of the album was recorded during, which was uh, tricky to navigate, especially at the beginning. Um, the cool thing is that I did have a majority of the songs written. And then um, the, the plan originally was to have the album come out in 2020. But then when everything shut down, obviously we had to push things back. But then that allowed me to continue writing. And so then a lot of the songs that ended up on the album were actually written during quarantine. And I would send the songs to Howard and Neil and they would tell me, you know, this one is incredible or this one needs some tweaking or, you know, maybe let's pass on this one. But the cool thing is that I was releasing music as the songs were being created. 
in a chronological order. I didn't have all the songs ready to go. Um, so it was very much in the moment type of way of making an album. How was making music and being creative different for you when everything is in lockdown? Uh, I would say that being in lockdown and I guess for me, I had to really come to terms with myself and who I am when I'm not performing, when I'm not touring, because I realized now that I had credited so much of the performer Diamante as my entire identity and what made me awesome or, or any validation I had for myself. So I had to rediscover Diamante, the human being. And in doing so, I had to tap into all these insecurities and flaws and past mistakes and uh, maybe things I hadn't really addressed before with myself. And because I had all the time in the world to do it, I felt like the floodgates just started opening. And that's why a lot of the more vulnerable songs were written during the quarantine. Was it tough for you to find the creative process? Because a lot of people remain creative when they're, when they're living their life and experiencing different things throughout each day. And when you're not, and you're just waking up and staying inside and doing the same thing, it can be a hurdle to get over when you have to be creative or when you're trying to write music. Was that the case for you or was it, you know, was there no difference? Some days. Yeah, absolutely. This album was not easy to make. Um, especially because there's so many days when I'd wake up and I, I'd say to myself, you know, what's the point? Why am I making this album? Who's even going to care? Who's going to listen? There's, so much happening in the world right now it's hard to even be motivated because no one's telling you you have to wake up at a certain time or there's no schedule for the day there's there's really nothing for you to do so a lot of it was just self i guess motivation and having to wake up every day and say okay i'm gonna try and write a song today and if it doesn't happen today then i'm gonna try again tomorrow and even though i wasn't really experiencing physical life because I was staying at home I was still experiencing a lot of emotion so I just I mostly tapped into that when it came to writing you mentioned the self-reflection that you went through you know during the pandemic during the lockdown I have to imagine that that played a big part in your lyric writing and your music writing too as well you know tapping into things that maybe that you have forgotten about or did haven't dealt with and being able to do that during this time may have helped your creativity. Yeah, absolutely. This last year and a half was a total moment of self-reflection because when I'm out on tour, I'm not really sitting there thinking, man, that thing that happened to me six months ago, that was painful. I'm so in the moment. I'm on this high because I'm adrenalized from playing shows every night. And, and I have this feeling where I'm unstoppable and absolutely nothing can touch me and everything's great. And so when all that was taken away, I really did have to sit there and think about things that I was maybe suppressing, like Unlovable, that song's a great example. That's something that I have had in the back of my mind, you know, the fear that maybe I'm too complicated or too hard to love because so many people have made me feel that way. And at some point, you start thinking, well, am I the problem? And when I'm on tour, I'm not having those thoughts. So when I'm at home, that's when everything starts coming up to the surface. 
It's interesting. I also know that you self-released this album and you left Better Noise prior to doing that. Was there a sense of motivation in, you know, having to get this record out and proving to yourself that you could do it without a record label? Yeah, I would say that was a driving force for sure. Um, Anytime when I'm faced with challenges or adversity, I always try to make the best out of any situation and keep that mentality of like, okay, it's going to be tough, but you got to prove them wrong. And so I, I really did hold on to that this entire time making the album and to prove to myself that I didn't need a record label to, to create the music that I wanted to make, to release music out into the world, to feel connected to my fans, um, that I could do it on my own. So it was very empowering for me when I was able to actually finish this album. Leaving Better Noise and, and now doing the self-release album, do you think you could have made American Dream with the record label? Uh, I would say probably not exactly the way that this album turned out and definitely not on the timeline that I created and started releasing the album. When I was with the label, I signed with them when I was 19 and my first album didn't come out until I was 21. So it was a very long process. It was three years just for one album to to write and then to ultimately release. And this time around, it was really only a year and a half that um, the album started getting created and and is now coming into the world. And also this time around, I had so much more freedom and say. And I don't think that if I was with that label right now that the album would have all these out of left field songs and all these different genre influences and all these little quirks that it has because the album is so me because there were no limitations or restrictions. Well, it seems like it was a very fluid process compared to what you experienced prior to this album. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is because there weren't so many layers, if that makes any sense on that first album, I had to first send the songs to or sit with Howard and listen to the songs, which then he would send to the A&R, who would then say yes or no, and then he would send it to someone else, who would send it to someone else. So I went through all these chains of commands, and this time around, it was just me, Howard, and Neil. There were no A&Rs, there were no labels, so it was really us who had all the power in the world to decide what was going to be on this album and what wasn't going to be on this album. You know, when you have an A&R person, I, I always believe that anyone can make music now, which is great. And everyone can put it out into the world and have people enjoy it and listen to it. But with that, there are some challenges. And I know there's some artists, especially newer artists, who don't have anybody in the room to tell them this needs to be better or you need to cut this out. How did you still have that in place for you to make this album but still keep a fluid process? Well, one of the things I really love about Howard is that he is very direct, um, straight to the point. If he thinks something sucks, he will tell you that it sucks. And so I really appreciated that honesty. And I also really respect Howard and Neil's opinion because they have been doing this for so long and so successfully. I'm, I never went into the process thinking, well, I know everything and what I say goes. I definitely listened to their opinions. If they told me a song wasn't as strong as maybe I thought it was, I really did take that into consideration. And we went back and forth on songs until we all felt, yes, this is exactly what it needs to sound like. 
Because that's important. You know, I mean, I hear a lot of stuff from newer artists and it's good. But there's always maybe something, not every artist, but some of them, there's always something in a song that like, eh, that could have been longer, that could have been better. Um, and I just think that sometimes you need that soundboard. You need that criticism. Yeah. That's an honest criticism in the room with you to make you a better artist. Absolutely. I, I believe in that 100%. And I'm even that way with myself. I'm always challenging myself. I'm always pushing myself and saying, is this the best it can possibly be? Did you say that? in the best way you possibly could that you could like record that line with all the emotion in the world. So uh, working with Howard and Neil was awesome because we all really respected each other's opinions, but we were all pushing each other at the same time. The album is a statement of human emotion. I mean, from one song to the next, I mean, you really dive into where you're at with each song and you're able to convey that through the messaging of the lyrics and through the music, and even the, 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 the music itself offers a vibe that matches what you're trying to do. Was that a conscious effort to do that, or did that just happen organically? I think that mostly happened organically. There were a few instances, like I Love Myself for Hating You, for example, where Neil noticed that the lyric was very cheeky and snarky and so he decided that the production should have more of that sort of punk vibe which I really liked and it was um kind of fast tempoed and it did pay homage a little bit to that early 2000s pop rock sound um and then the more serious songs yeah I think it all happened organically unlovable it's just me and a, a piano and guitars and uh, sorry not guitars violins and so when you have a song that is that stripped down I think that really plays well into the topic of the song, which is very vulnerable and stripped down. I mean, it packs a punch in the beginning with American Dream into Ghost Myself. I love Serves You Right, which you, know, <laughs> which, which you can really feel the room in that song, if that makes sense. You know, you can really feel the, yeah. the, the, the drums and the instruments and the vibe that you were trying to create when that song plays. Yeah, absolutely. And what I love about that song is I recorded the verses in a way that I sang so close up to the mic. So you could, when you listen to it, you feel like I'm really there in the room with you singing. And I love when vocalists do that, especially when the song is telling a story because it pulls you in immediately. You mentioned using other genres as you made this song, I made this album with different songs and different types of styles that you wanted to incorporate was that part of the plan when you're planning out this album Diamante and you're and you're going through what you want to accomplish is that kind of the vision that you had I would say uh, yeah a little bit more than anything I was really just trying to make this album me wholeheartedly 100% unmistakably you listen to this album you're like yep that's Diamante the first album I did I thought it was a, a cool introduction to me as an artist, but I wanted this album to me to be more an introduction to me as a human being. And just growing up, I've always listened to all different kinds of genres. I still do. I love listening to alternative. I love listening to pop, like, you know, good pop. And so I guess unknowingly when I was making the songs on this album, I would maybe do a vocal part that was a little more pop or I would have an idea for a guitar that 
had more of an alternative feel or some synths and, and some songs have trap beats. And then an American dream, there's like a country vibe to it. So it's all very encompassing of who I am as a music fan. Well, you mentioned you did a lot of self-reflecting, you know, as you were writing this album and, you know, you're writing this record, you know, with the emotions that were can, that you went through going through that. And you are making a statement about yourself when you first, you know, without the pandemic, that wouldn't have happened. Maybe, maybe, or maybe not. Did the vision for this album change as you went into lockdown and you started to learn more about yourself? Because with this album, your audience is learning more about you. Yeah, I would say so. Um, the first, what's interesting about this album is that because it's so personal and tied into real events that happened to me, there is a very evident story arc in the album where it starts out with all these heartbreak songs and I'm, I'm angry and I'm, you know, betrayed and I, I don't have this closure. And then uh, it goes to a moment where I'm hitting rock bottom and I have all these insecurities. And this is around the time when the pandemic really started happening and I'm, I'm being very self-reflective and I'm looking into all the parts of me that I don't like and how I want to ghost myself and I wish I could be anyone but me. And then towards the end of the album, there's this feeling of empowerment. And this started happening to me a couple months ago where I started remembering, no, you're actually a really dope person and you have a lot of cool characteristics about you and you have things about you that are very admirable and you have a lot of people in your life that do love you. So there's this empowerment and then I meet someone and then I fall in love. So I don't think that the album would at all be what it is right now had it not been for this last year. That's really interesting because when you are going through a state of self-reflection, there are some pretty dark moments in that you really have to find yourself and really get in touch with who you are because prior to that, a lot of people think that they are one type of person. And when they start to reflect on things, they start to realize who they really are. But then coming through that, as your album does tell that story, you do become stronger because of that self-reflection. And that's a very cool thing to conceptualize with the 12 songs that are on the album and do that. Yeah, and again, no matter how uncomfortable it was, I'm, I'm glad that I did that because I'm the kind of person where I don't like people to think that I'm weak or vulnerable. And there's definitely this expectation these days, especially with social media, with being so easily accessible that you always want to seem like you're on top of everything. You're confident, you're strong. And the truth is none of us are like that a hundred percent of the time. So I did want to write songs that reflected the other side that people don't necessarily talk about as much. It's important to do that. I mean, you mentioned social media and everybody always shows their best self on social media. You know, they, they never, they never show, you know, them at at their worst times or them having a bad day. And it's almost like you're creating a parallel image of yourself and self-reflection is so important because of that, because you can start to believe that parallel version of yourself. And if you start to believe it and you're not in tune with what you really are and who you really are and the things you got to figure out, you can really become a mess. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) imagine if people were uploading selfies every time they were crying on the toilet. (laughs) 
<laughs> it doesn't happen, but it's very common. That would make for very interesting comments, indeed. You know, um, um, when when you're done with this album and it's recorded and you're sitting on it, waiting for it to be released. Is there a sense of accomplishment? Is there a sense of I did this and I'm so much better for it? Or is there, is there still a wait to see, did I do the right thing? Did I, did I make this music in the way I wanted to do it? What I do love about American Dream is that I can completely and honestly say that this was the album I wanted to make from the beginning and I put so much of myself into it and a lot of my, I guess, not that, like the writing that I'm most proud of is on this album. So when I look back on it now that it's done, I definitely do have that feeling of accomplishment. Like you did it, it's done, you did it with no label and the songs you have put out have been some of people's favorite songs that you've ever done. So you're on the good track here. And, uh, along with that feeling of accomplishment is also that feeling of just being absolutely terrified because it's so personal. And because, you know, as soon as this goes out into the world, everyone's going to know your deepest, darkest insecurities. Well, there is a beauty in the pain sometimes, right? Yeah. And there's a, a freedom in letting go of it as well. Would you consider this album a celebration of who you are? Yeah, I would. I would say that it's a celebration of all components of who I am, the good, the bad, the ugly, the really ugly, and just uh, me laying it out out there on the table on a shame. Like, this is it. This is who I am. And I accept all these facets of who I am. It's interesting because when you look back someday at this album, this is going to be like a timestamp of where you were and who you were and who you are at this time. Yeah. It's funny because I, I look at my first album as a timestamp of who I was as a teenager, you know, late teenager. And the second album is always going to be a timestamp of who I was in my early 20s. And that's, I mean, when you're in your early 20s, there's a lot of confusion going on. There's a lot of what am I doing with my life? And so, yeah, it's, it's going to be cool years from now to go back and listen to American Dream and just see what I was going through. As we move forward, as you move forward as an artist... There is the unknown and the uncertainty of live shows and getting out and playing in front of people. Where are you at? What are you thinking of? And what do you anticipate as we move forward? Well, as of right now, I have a couple festivals lined up for September. And I have one announced, which is Incarceration. And it's got the coolest lineup. It's one of those big festivals in Ohio. And every time I get one of these in... I'm always thinking, yes, shows are coming back, but maybe, who really knows? Who knows if it's just going to get postponed or canceled? Because this last year and a half has been so unpredictable, I don't consider anything anymore to be certain. I'm always thinking, well, who knows what's going to happen? I do see a lot of bands starting to tour and starting to play shows in certain areas, but I don't know. It's just so up in the air at this point. It is. I mean, we all want to get back to going to see concerts, and I know there's a lot of restrictions being lifted in a lot of different states, some more than others, so it's really hard to gauge of where you're going to be at and what you're going to be doing show to show. I also have to imagine, too, as you do plan this, 
you are planning for things to be different in terms of the live performance of what happens behind the scenes because that all has to change too. Yeah, that's going to be an entirely new world to operate in. I honestly didn't even think about the behind the scenes aspect. I was I had a conversation with George Lynch, the guitar player from Dokken, uh last gosh, last summer and he played Sturgis. And oh. um he said that he basically stayed in his trailer up until showtime, didn't talk to anybody. Knocked, they knocked on his door, he grabbed his guitar and just walked right on stage. Yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to be different for a lot of you uh, a lot of artists to do. One real quick question before I forget. The song Iris um, is on the album, the cover of the Goo Goo Dolls song, which is a very recognizable song. What, yeah. what went through the process and why did you choose that song as a cover for this album? I have always loved this song ever since I was little and I've always wanted to cover it, but I was always told no. So now that I had nobody telling me no, I figured it'd be the best time to put a song on the album that I've always wanted to do. And I realized also listening to it that the chorus is also really, not metaphor, but it's a good summary of what the entire album is like because it's saying, um, when everything's made to be broken, I just want you to know who I am. And I think that the entire album encompasses that because I'm putting so much of myself out there. I really do want whoever listens to this album to know the real me, to know exactly who I am. Well, you, you really empowered yourself on this album. You empowered yourself even before when you decided to self-release it. In this day and age with music, you know, you mentioned that you maybe you may have not been able to put this song if you were still with a label. Moving forward, I mean, it's always hard to tell the future. Do you like being independent and self-releasing versus being on an album, being on a record label where the empowerment is worth more than anything a record label could give you? I would say that it has a different set of challenges when I think especially when you're doing your first album and you're really starting out and you got that first deal, it's not always the greatest and you really do have to play ball, play by the rules, um, and please everyone. That was the pressure I had on that first album was, man, I really have to make everyone proud of me. I have to do a good job. I can't mess up. Don't mess up. And this time around, the pressures are, well, if this fails and everything goes wrong, it's your fault because there's no one else to blame. There's a lot more accountability. But I would say, you know, going to the future, I, I really don't know. This process of making this album independent has been really liberating and a, a huge growing point for me as an artist and a songwriter because I was able to really do whatever I wanted. But that's not to, to say that maybe one day, you know, the right label comes along and they have the same vision as me that that's the route I'll take. I'm not sure yet. We'll see. Diamante, thank you very much for doing this interview. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Everybody, the new album by Diamante is out on Friday. It is a great record. It is a personal diary of Diamante and her self-reflection, a sense of empowerment. Sonically, the album is beautiful as well. 
So go check it out. Get American Dream. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and check out Pantheon Podcast, the network of music podcast. Once again, Jay Scott here. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will talk again soon. Thank you. You're my American dream. Nicotine and palm trees. Give me, give me that red, white, and blue. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.